Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Rocket IT Business Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hyatt, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with my friend and favorite congressman, Rob Woodall. Congressman Woodall has served five consecutive terms as the U.S. Representative for Georgia's 7th Congressional District. Additionally, Congressman Woodall serves on the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure, House Committee on Rules, and the House Budget Committee. Congressman Woodall, it's a pleasure to finally have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. You know, usually when I'm with you, Matt, you're always working hard or accepting an award of some uh, of some kind. I feel like this is just social hour today, and so I, you may be working, but just know I'm 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 feeling the the social connection, and I'm grateful for it. Well, thank you. I uh, I, I am so glad you're on the show, and uh, like I said, we've we've been friends for a while now. We've known each other for a good long time, and uh, it's sort of bittersweet for me right now because uh, we're winding down in the last days of your role as uh, as my congressman and so how are you feeling it is uh i, I guess they say owning a boat uh, the day you buy it is the second best day of your life and the day you sell it <laughs> is the first best uh, best day right you know th- this is an amazing uh, job and we live in an amazing community with amazing leaders and and we so do. to ha- to have had this honor is uh, is well, I can't put it into into words. I just I could not be I could not be luckier. Uh, but I've been doing it for uh, for ten years now, and it's absolutely true that 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 different times require different different people. The I, I think the time when uh, when I came in with President Obama and divided government was a was a good time for the for the the passions that I brought to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we're going to have a, an opportunity to see a brand new list of uh, leaders from across the country who are going to take that mantle and run with it. You and I will, will both be yelling at the television at the same time uh, as, <laughs> as things transpire. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully there's as much uh, excitement for good things to come as, uh, as uh, frustration for things. That would be nice, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah. It would. Well, Rob, I'd love to uh, just dig in just a little bit for those that don't know you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, where'd you grow up and how in the world did you find your path towards Washington, D.C.? They, it uh, is a story I tell to young people uh, regularly when they say, Rob, how do I become a, a United States congressman? And the answer is, I have no idea. I can't tell you about the, <laughs> about that. I, I luck, lucked into it. I grew up uh, over in DeKalb County, uh, uh-huh. uh, grew up in Avondale, okay. and went over to Marist for for high school, and so it's always been home. And in fact, I started studying this congressional district at Furman University uh-huh. as part of a political science project when John Linder was uh, running for this seat and lost in uh, <laughs> in 1990. Uh-huh. But when I was in uh, law school. I was working in Washington uh, for a law firm uh, during the summers, and the truth is when you're a young person and you want to make a difference and you have a chance to make a difference, it's hard to go back and sit in the classroom. <laughs> so it, to, the, to the great frustration of my parents, I think, at the time who thought I was going to drop out of law school and never go back, I actually left law school after uh, two years 
to go to work for John Linder, uh, answering his right? uh, telephone. <laughs> I was able to finish up law school at night and graduate from the University of Georgia later. But the opportunity uh, to feel like you're making a difference, I think, is something that's in every single one of us. I, I see mm -hmm. it in the work that you do uh, mm -hmm. on behalf of your customers and on behalf of your employees. And, and when, you, when you find an opportunity to do that, you, you just can't let it slip through your fingers. You've got to maximize it and then, and then go on. So it's been a, it's been a long journey, but a, but a very emotionally and spiritually productive one. Well, you know, that's really interesting. You... Uh... So you were doing a, essentially a class project that involved John Linder. Is that how you got to know him? That, that's, uh, that's right. Now, to be fair, what I found in my class project is he was a crazy, crazy conservative who had absolutely no chance of winning whatsoever <laughs> and was running at that time, as, as you may uh, recall, against Ben Jones, who played mm. uh, Cooter on the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> that, uh, that was the matchup uh, at, the, at the time, and, and uh, he did lose that race. But huh. I, what, it, uh, what it taught me, looking back on that, is all I knew about my elected officials was what the Atlanta Journal-Constitution told me about them. Mm. And so I thought John Linder was a nut. I thought Newt Gingrich was a nut. I thought right. that folks who just had different ideas from the editorial board were mm. actually a, a good versus evil kind of dynamic. And, and we still see that persisting today, even with all the, the media choices that we, that we have. Mm. It, 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 is a, it, is, it is a constant reminder to me that I may think that I know something, but I really may not know something. And I need to surround myself with folks who have that firsthand experience and get some different perspectives and, and try to figure out what the truth is. That's so good. I totally agree with you. And, and, and I've had that experience. Once upon a time, I was a guy that, you know, listened to the radio on the way in and out to work and get home and kick on the, the TV and watch the news in the evening. And, Quite honestly, that's, that's not a way to lead a life free of anger <laughs> because you hear all these things on the news. And then once I started spending more time in Washington, D.C., and we'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes, and getting to know some of the people that were representing me and my community, I just found that the reality was pretty different. Than, uh, than the expectation based on what I had heard and seen in the news. So it's interesting that you, you sort of encountered the same thing. See, I, I grew up with my parents watching Walter Cronkite. Uh, you remember Walter Cronkite. I, and, you know, I, I was peripherally involved. It wasn't that I, you know, I was a kid sitting there watching Walter Cronkite, but he was running on the TV. And I kind of grew up believing that the media uh, in my house, mostly represented by Walter Cronkite, was fair and balanced and, uh, and was just reporting the facts and not inserting their own opinions and, and biases into the news. That's kind of the impression that I had. And then that, that became very different as I grew up. And so I don't know if the world changed or I, my eyes were opened or or what's happened, but boy, you sure see a lot of difference between what's reported in media and reality. The, I will never forget, Matt, a, a news episode. You may remember uh, there were uh, conversations going on in, 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 in Florida 
around politics and, and on one student campus, taser had to be brought out and, and, a, and a student was tased and there was a local Fox News reporter on the scene and national Fox News was interviewing him and they said this was was this just a terrible abuse of, of, of power there by the by the officer who tased and the the uh, reporter said well I don't I, I can't speak to that but I, I let me tell you what what happened and they said well it wasn't just an awful thing to, to have to be a part of and, and went on and on and finally the reporter said listen I I'm not the editorial board writer here. I'm the reporter. So I have no opinions that I'd like to share with you. But if you want to know anything about what happened, I'm happy to tell you. Here was a here was a young person who was on national television for the first time in their life. They could have taken that opportunity to make it all about them and 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 what they believed. And instead, in true journalistic uh, ethics, said, let me let me just tell you what the facts are, and you can draw your own conclusions from there. I don't know what we do, Matt, when, when facts become relative. Mm-hmm. Alan Bloom wrote about value relativism uh, uh, decades ago, and we're challenged by truth relativism today. And I, 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 I do worry about what that means for young people growing up and, and, and what our news consumption patterns are going to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's interesting is uh, with social media these days, I think that's added to that that trouble because you can sort of pick your team that you want to follow and, uh, you know, spend time with and interact with on social media. And you may be getting a very narrow view uh, of the world uh, through that lens, right? The confirmation bias is available to us uh, all day long, uh, every day. I can find someone to tell me how smart I am and somebody to tell me what an idiot I am right. absolutely uh, at a moment's uh, notice uh, anytime. Yes. So you were working for John Lender. Mm-hmm. And when I met you for the first time, you were chief of staff. That's right. So tell us about that gap. Was Was that something that happened over a short period of time, a long period of time. How, how did it occur? The, I was on staff helping to write letters and, and conduct mail in November of 1994. Okay. So Matt, I was, I was listening to the radio as the results were coming in and suddenly John Linder's best friend, Newt Gingrich, became the first Republican Speaker of the House and in 40 years. And I knew, even though I'd only been on the job about a month and a half, that I was going to walk into the office the next day as a young law student with a month and a half of experience, and someone was going to ask me to be their chief of staff and let me put all of my talents to use. I really? did walk back into the office the next day. No one did invite me to be their, their chief of staff, and it wasn't uh, for another six years that, that oh, John okay. asked me to, to be his chief of staff. But I had an opportunity to work in every single notch on the, on the ladder, and, and I I think that every new member of Congress who's not served before experiences that you don't know what all the rungs of the ladder are until you've until you've sat on them for a mm-hmm. for a while. The challenge is answering the telephone call after call after call with folks who have real pain and real anxiety mm-hmm. in their lives takes an amazing emotional toll. My interns always say they didn't realize how many people called their congressman and what they called their congressman about until they got a chance to to experience it. So I went from 
legislative correspondent, uh, writing mail, to legislative assistant, helping to uh, craft policy, to legislative director, helping to form policy, uh, to chief of staff in, uh, in 1999. Mm. And I believe it, if I had served as member of Congress somewhere in there, I would have been an even better uh, chief of staff, because once again, oh. <laughs> having not stood on this rug before, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And uh, I wish I had a chance now to go back and serve John Linder again, because I'd be so much better at it uh, now that I uh, know precisely what he needs. Uh, well, I know how that works. Uh, we often have folks come through Rocket IT, and certainly there's an intentional effort to build people up. And part of that is putting them in different roles, letting them wear different hats for a season. And uh, sometimes they'll even switch departments and go from service to sales and vice versa. Uh, but that experience definitely builds a better, more equipped, well-rounded professional, right? They, well, I've got folks on my staff, uh, Matt. We, we, I've been on a committee called the Modernization of Congress. It's a bipartisan committee trying to, to change the way Congress works. And we've spent a lot of time talking about staff retention and how it is we help to build young people up and, and mm -hmm. keep them in the system because you're not going to get rich on Capitol Hill, uh, not uh, financially anyway. And so a lot of the conversation revolved around uh, money. But as you know mm -hmm. from the folks that you hire, money is 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 falling on the list of of priorities it's that mm -hmm. work life balance it's what do i what am i getting out of this what am i able to contribute right. so i have even though the average tenure on capitol hill is about 18 months i have hmm. folks who've been with me for for more than 20 years in is fact right? i have many wow. people who have been with me for more than <laughs> than 20 years because we have uh -huh. a reputation of promoting from within and because we live in a community where we really do get a chance to to make a difference people and I I just I, you, I see the difference that you make and I see the community recognize you for making that difference I know that's not why you do it you do it for the for the joy of of uh, of, of being a contributor but I I look at the young people who are struggling out there today trying to find their sense of, of, of purpose and I think how 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 much I wish for them that they could could fall into that opportunity where they could feel relevant, where they could feel like they matter. Mm. And uh, once, you, once you find that, the rest of it uh, all falls, uh, falls into place. That's so true. Tell me, did, did you have uh, any mentors or folks that you looked up to during that season? The, the, the staff members, uh, one of them who still uh, is here in Washington, D.C., I still consider a good friend of mine. His name is Henry Plaster, mm -hmm. and uh, he'd worked in the Bush administration, and, and he'd worked all over Washington, uh, D.C. He was a young single guy when I met him. Now he's a, a wonderful father and, and uh, husband and on his way to being a grandfather because times, uh, times change. But he embodied the joy of showing up to work every day. You know, there's a there's a, a a negativity around the water cooler that you can find in some in environments. Oh, it's just so bad. Oh, work is so hard. Oh, we had to come in so early. Oh, we have to to stay so so late. Not that people mean anything by it, but it just becomes that conversation. Right. Right. What what Henry brought into the office was that how lucky are we that we get to come into this office every every uh, day of the week that made a difference to me early on and you combine that with 
with John Linder, who I did not know before I went to work for him. Hmm. Here's a guy who didn't need the job. He was independently wealthy. He could have done anything he wanted to do. And so he did the job every day, not as someone fighting to hang on to their piece of the pie, but as someone who already had plenty of pie and could then help everybody else to grow their pie during that time. And if you didn't like the way he did it, then you were welcome to vote him out of office. But he wasn't going to put his finger up to the political winds. I didn't really understand that there were politicians like that before I, before I got here. And I, I would tell you that that shaped the style I have tried to, to emulate uh, more than, than I ever, uh, ever knew it would. I love that. I, I do think people have the impression that there are folks in Washington that are there uh, purely because they're hanging on to some you know, piece of power or trying to kind of grapple their way up, up the food chain. But you're right. I've met a, a number of folks, and I certainly count you among them, the folks that I think are there truly trying to contribute and, and add value. And so uh, I certainly appreciate you and your help there. Well, thank you. Tell me, so at some point, there's an opportunity to fill a congressional seat. And you raised your hand and said that I'll, I'll put my name in the hat. How, how did that happen? And, and was that when you were going through law school and learning about Washington, D.C. and John Linder, did, had, had it entered your mind that early or was that something that came, early, came later? No, I, I, and, and I will tell you that being the congressman is not the best job I've had. Being legislative director <laughs> is the best uh, job. None of the campaigning, none of the, the fundraising, just all of the making a difference for, uh, for people. It, it was not on my mind. The truth is, Matt, uh, when John announced he was going to retire in February, late February, of an election year. I didn't see it coming. In fact, we'd had conversations that, that led me to believe he was in it for the long, uh, uh, oh. for the long haul. Wow. And the filing deadline was early April. So there just wasn't much time. Oh, my goodness. There were eight people who were looking at getting into the race, and I was looking to see who I thought I could help mm. to be successful. And the truth is, much like the politics we've seen over the last uh, six months, everybody was talking about how they were going to go to Washington and solve this big problem and solve that big problem and how easy it would be and why haven't those other guys done it right before and just send me there and everything will be fine. No one was talking about the casework aspect of the job. You know, I can't get President Obama to agree with me on something every day of the week, but I can help somebody in their fight with the IRS can help somebody with their visa problems or their passport problems. I can make a difference for a, for a mom or a, or a dad with their veterans benefits. Every day I get to do something and success isn't how do I tell 300 million people how to live their life with a new federal law. Success is how do I serve the people who sent me here already. And my thought was, Matt, if I get in the race, it's only going to be uh, about 10 weeks long. I've got that kind of time on my life. I can, I can make this case about, given my experience, how I know the job is supposed to be done and how you can do it better than you're talking about it. And I didn't need to win. 
I just needed to change the debate to talk about the values that I thought were important. That way, whoever did win would, would lead differently because, uh, because I was there. It just turned out that uh, I did win. We ended up in a, in, a, uh, in a runoff in that big primary and ended up winning that, that runoff. And then, of course, I already had a team in place, men and women that I had hired, folks I'd worked with for years. We were able to hit the ground running, not miss a single beat to uh, trying to figure out how to, how to get things uh, done. And still, as I think back on those days, I, I think about the surprise that uh, we pulled it off. Derek Corbett was running my campaign. He's my chief of staff now. He said, Rob, I always knew we were going to win. It was just no question in my, <laughs> in my mind, but I was surprised. Well, that optimism. That, that, that's exactly right. And, uh, and, and the, the ability to, you know, right now I've got to take the cases that I can't close, the people I haven't been able to succeed for yet, and I've got to turn them over to a brand new team. And it's going to be a really hard emotional thing for, mm. for me to do and, and, and hard for, for them. We've all invested all of this energy in getting to this level, and, and now we're going to have to reset the, the bar. I didn't have to give anybody that bad news in 2010 and 2011. And, and I'm, I, I, I still look back on that as being one of, my, one of my happiest times that folks who were counting on the 7th District Office to succeed for them, if they hadn't succeeded by January 2nd, 2011, no worries, because on January 3rd, the new office was going to come in and we were going to keep, uh, keep pushing at the same, uh, uh, same pace together. I love that. So, you know, what's funny is I think you're absolutely right. I think most folks sitting back home, when they think of their congressman or they think of Congress, they do think of a big group of people getting together and trying to hash it out on various issues and, and uh, come to a decision. And I don't think many people really recognize that a significant part of the job is what, what you call casework, uh, working with your constituents to help move the needle for them in their personal lives. That's how, how big of a part of the job is that? I don't think people know. They, well, the truth is most members divide their office up into, into halves. Really? Half of it is in D.C. working on public policy. The other half is working on uh, casework. And it, hmm. it depends on what your district looks like. If you live outside of Fort Hood, Department of Defense casework, VA casework may comprise a much of your load. Hmm. I will tell you, Naomi Pillsbury does, leads that work for me. It's the immigration work in our hmm. area. Folks mm -hmm. who are getting married and their grandmother can't get a visa to, to come to the, to the wedding. Uh, folks who have traveled overseas and they've had a problem with their paperwork and now they can't get back, folks who need, need passports because of the diversity in our community, Naomi and her team are the finest immigration caseworkers, I would tell you, in the land. Folks call from all around the country to get uh, her advice on how to, to make things happen because that's where we've had to develop the expertise. So because I'm a fair tax guy and believe that the IRS, by its nature, has so much power that people run afoul of it very easily. Uh, we get a lot of IRS casework. Folks who said, I, I did the best that I could. Turns out I did it wrong. And now I'm, I'm looking at fines and I'm looking at penalties. How do I navigate this, uh, this effort? And we're able to help with that. And, and again, the, 
the that depends on the era. We were doing mortgage casework for folks, uh, Matt. We don't have any any power over Wells Fargo or Bank of America. But when folks say, "Golly, I'm I'm here the in the Great Recession and I can't get anybody to return my phone calls and I'm I, I want to pay, I want to do it right, but I don't know how to get." get in touch with folks, even when it's not a federal government agency, we're able to help connect people to, to solve uh, problems. Uh, problems are bad to have. Worrying about problems is worse. And totally we're agree. able to partner with people and take away that worry. Maybe we can't get them what they want, but they know they're not in it alone. They know the person that was uh, elected to represent them actually is their, uh, their partner in, in trying to solve those issues. Hmm. Tell me, once you, uh, so you've been elected and we have a brand new uh, minted congressman. What was the biggest surprise to you, Rob? You don't know what you don't know until you know it, man. And, and, and I, 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 even as close to the, to the political action as I was, the men and women who worked on the on the floor of the Capitol, those members of Congress, were still caricatures for the most part from Fox News and MSNBC. I knew mm. the Georgia members, I knew a couple of Alabama and South Carolina members, but Nancy Pelosi, for example, was just this head that showed up on the on the television when I was watching the news. If you ask any freshman member of Congress that's getting elected this year, and they so many folks got elected on the on the edges this year, uh, uh, howling at the at the respect their respective political moons. Ask any of those folks in six months, Matt, what their biggest surprise is, and what they're going to tell you is they had no idea how good and decent and hardworking the other team was. Because really? all they knew was was the was the political vitriol that uh, the the running joke on Capitol Hill is uh, you know folks will ask me back home Rob how do you work with some of those folks on the other side of the aisle they're just such bad people and my answer is no they're they're not bad people they're absolutely wonderful people with really bad ideas <laughs> now their ideas are just awful <laughs> terrible terrible <laughs> ideas but wonderful people. That's how that's how partnership is is uh, is created. And I would have guessed after a a decade as chief of staff that I would have known more personalities that that I wouldn't have been duped by the media as much as uh, as the rest of the the country might have been. But right. when I got behind those doors, uh, walking out onto the house floor. I realized that uh, I still had misconceptions, and some of those folks I thought were the most awful to have to watch and listen to on uh, television have turned out to be uh, some of my closest friends because they really are wonderful human beings, wonderful moms and dads, and wonderful public servants just representing a very different constituency than the constituency that I represent. That's so refreshing to hear from someone who's worked in Washington, D.C., and you know, in, in the halls of Congress to uh, talk that way about uh, folks on, you know, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle we might fall on, but if we can gain an appreciation and respect for the people on the other side of the aisle, that's a pretty, pretty wonderful thing. So uh, I'm so glad you see it that way. Tell me, so you mentioned, I think you called it the Congressional Modernization 
committee. Mm -hmm. That's not the only committee or task force that you've participated on. I actually have a list here because I didn't think I could remember them all. The House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure, mm -hmm. the House Committee on Rules, and the House Budget Committee. Mm -hmm. Tell me about those and tell me which one is, uh, how, did you have, how does one get asked to participate on a committee like that? The, it's a lot like choosing a dorm room in college. You've got to look around, see what building you want to be in. Then right. You've got to get yourself on the list. And, and uh, some things are a little bit harder. The waiting list is a little bit longer. I had the pleasure of working on the Rules Committee for Congressman Linder. So when uh -huh. I got here, I knew the Rules Committee was a place that I could contribute on day one. Right. And at the time, the Rules Committee was an exclusive committee. You weren't allowed to serve on but one committee. So I, oh. I picked rules right off the bat and, and have been there ever, ever since. We have since changed the rules and they've allowed uh, rules committee members to expand and, and serve in other places. And, and the budget committee and the transportation committee were, were added. Uh, state delegations, Matt, get together and, and, and work on these, on these issues. Johnny Isaacson was our transportation committee member when he was here in the House. When he left and, and went to the Senate, we didn't have a Transportation Committee member. That's obviously something that's critically important, not mm -hmm. just to the 7th uh, District, but to the entire state of Georgia. So the entire state of Georgia, the, the delegation got together to support me, to, to help me get a seat on the Transportation Committee. In the same way that we all got together to help Buddy Carter, get on the Energy and Commerce uh, Committee to help Tom Graves get on the Appropriations Committee. As a delegation, we want to be the best we can be for the state of Georgia. And if there is a, an issue I hear about more, as I'm sure you hear from your employees, it's about that commute, getting in and out <laughs> of uh, downtown Atlanta, getting across from, from Gwinnett to, to Cobb, being able to focus on transportation, because we're experiencing those problems and because we're responding to them both at a county level and a state level in a very productive uh, way has uh, has gives me an outsized voice on on the committee and and I think that's also something that folks don't generally think about it's it's not that anybody thinks Rob Woodall is so brilliant though I hope one or two people do it's that they think man that district Rob Woodall represents is amazing. If it's an immigration issue, well, Rob understands it and experiences it in ways nobody else does because his constituents educate him about it. Uh, as a state, we were increasing transportation taxes and taking ownership of those issues before so many other states uh, did. That gives me more credibility to talk about funding of infrastructure when we're not waiting on somebody else to solve our problems. We're taking proactive steps our, ourselves. So many of those committee assignments you see are a result not just of member interest, but of, of expertise in the district and of what a state may need to fill out its portfolio so that there's somebody in every influential uh, place on the, on the Hill. Do those committee roles change during your tenure? So, or is it typical that once you're in, you're in and you kind of stay there? The, the two answers to that. If you don't like where you get started or you want to get to a more exclusive place, then you may trade your committees out and, and move mm -hmm. on up the, up the ladder. The Rules Committee, uh, for example, 
didn't historically take freshmen. It right. took more senior members, and I was I was lucky to be able to to get in as a uh, as a freshman. But you can't do it all, Matt. Uh, you you have to develop some expertise if you're going to contribute here. There are just too many hardworking people to uh, to think you can you can do it all. And so I think the the prudent members isolate their areas of interest as soon as they can. And that gives them the ability to develop the connections, the experience, the framework to make the most difference in the shortest amount of, the shortest amount of time. So you see a lot of folks uh, on, on committees for, for, uh, for years and years and years. Well, I have, uh, I have definitely heard that the rules committee typically, no, they're going to typically choose a more senior representative. So that's a huge testament to you, I think, uh, that, uh, that they wanted you on that committee and invited you to participate as a freshman congressman. And you've been at it for a long time. I bet you're really good at it by now. They, well, I'm, I'm headed down to the floor in about uh, two hours to, do, really? uh, to do another, uh, another rule. The, you know, you're, you're, you just get skin deep on the, on the rules committee. You're, you're just, you're, you're not trying to write the legislation, you're trying to perfect the legislation. And so we're able to put our fingers in absolutely everything because every bill comes across the floor. Sometimes I think constituents get left out because mm. they didn't realize a bill was starting to move. And so they weren't able to get their ideas into the base text. Being on the rules committee, you can be the last one at the table, but if you have a good idea, I can still get that idea made in order as an amendment, and uh, and we can improve the bill as it uh, as it moves to the floor. So it's it is it is the, probably the least understood committee on Capitol Hill, but if you don't if you don't mind being misunderstood, then it's a, a wonderful place to to affect public policy and and the laws of the land are better because Seventh District constituents have had a chance to to do that. Well, speaking of the laws of the land. I have seen you multiple times over the time that I've known you pull a copy of the U.S. Constitution out of your pocket. Is that something you carry with you all the time, or have I just been lucky to, to see you uh, happen to refer to it? The, I spill too much food on my suits, uh, Matt, to tell you that every time I get one back from the cleaners, <laughs> I remember to put that Constitution uh, in there. But it is just so surprising, I think, to so many uh, Americans that the rule book is really that that short right that that you can really put it in a in a pamphlet in your in your breast uh, pocket and these are the rules that have have led the the greatest democracy the world has has ever known uh, our our republic is is only as good as we are as citizens and i i have partnered with democrats and republicans on trying to press that civics education forward, if you feel powerless, you will become powerless. And those who feel powerful will become more powerful because your voice is being left out of the, uh, left out of the debate. Uh, it's probably not as, as easy as I make it out to be. As I was looking for some books to stack the computer on this morning, Matt, this is the copy of the Constitution that I keep in the office. Oh, boy. So it's a little bit bigger. Than the breast pocket uh, edition because it has all of the the uh, 
the court cases and the machinations that have gone on over the the years. But yes, to to be able to remind people that that they sit on the board of directors of the most powerful country on earth, and and that that gives them amazing opportunities, but also substantial responsibilities, is uh, is something I take great uh, pleasure in and pride in. So as often as I uh, can uh, can swap suits out at the cleaners, I will put a <laughs> put a copy of the Constitution in there so I can can have it uh, when the debate comes up. Because as the supreme law of the land, whatever issue we're debating. If we can reference it in the Constitution, that's going to end the debate. Hey, Rob, why do people get to stand in the street and say all these awful things about each other? Well, let me let me turn here to Amendment One, and I'll I'll help to, I'll help you to see why that why that is. We can change it if we want to, but this is uh, often our most vexing problems have their roots in substantial freedoms that our framers uh, believed were necessary for our republic to survive. You mentioned changing it. And uh, you mentioned the First Amendment. Tell me about that. Is do you? I think there are two schools of thought here. I think some folks look at the uh, U.S. Constitution as uh, something that was written by our founding fathers and is fairly static. And then there are others that uh, think of it as more of a living document uh, that should be changed and updated from time to time. What's your thinking on that? And what, from your perspective, what's what's the right answer? The, well, if, we, if you ever have any doubts, uh, you can look at our, uh, our neighbor, the, the largest uh, democracy on the, on the planet, our friends in India. And they rarely uh, have a year that doesn't have a change to their constitution. In fact, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of changes to their constitution, and it's only been around uh, uh, for about uh, 60 years. Hmm. We've gone the other path. In, in America. We've, we've made very few changes. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, more than a third of the changes that were made were made in the Bill of Rights that uh, was uh, ratified almost contemporaneously with the Constitution. I had a breakfast with Justice Scalia shortly before he died, mm. and he was talking about his role on the Supreme Court. We were talking about the right to privacy. As you know, if you open up that Constitution, you will not find the right to privacy anywhere in there. There was no right to privacy. The Supreme Court interpreted the Constitution. They interpreted the Fourth Amendment and freedom from search and seizure. They, they uh, in, in, interpreted uh, uh, passage after passage to say, oh, well, there must be a right to privacy. We will enshrine this right through the courts. Justice Scalia would not have supported interpreting the Constitution in that way. He would have said mm. the Constitution is fairly clear, but having had the courts do that almost a hundred years ago, he would say, but we are not advantaged by yanking that pendulum back and forth, that having some certainty and predictability is what the framers really wanted mm. out of that Constitution. So if we make a mistake, if we, if we find a right that doesn't really exist, and it survives time, perhaps we ought to just leave it alone and come back and change it with a constitutional amendment if we, if we want to. Freedom of speech is a good one, Matt. It, you, were, you were welcome to say something awful about a man's wife uh, in 1787. You had the freedom of that speech. He also had the freedom to challenge you to a duel, right? You can say whatever awful thing you want about a fellow member of Congress, but in, uh, in the 1830s, 
we had members of Congress killing each other in duels over those things that were said legally in the state of uh, in the state of Maryland. And so, did did our founding fathers ever imagine the kind of hate speech that would be protected by the Constitution today? Absolutely not. Mm. They had no idea they would have thought a swift uh, punch in the nose would have solved <laughs> those those issues. Right. But we have we have we have developed those ideas today, and I think that's only right. The, our framers couldn't have imagined social media. They couldn't have imagined computers. They didn't imagine uh, being able to travel around the world at a moment's uh, notice. And so are the words, do the words of the Constitution mean what the words say? Of course they do. Did our framers give us opportunities to make changes, and did they expect us to make changes? Of course they did. Our challenge is to make those changes the right way through an Article 5 convention or a constitutional amendment process originating in Congress rather than having our courts make those decisions in ways that, that, that are, are difficult to recognize as they are happening and difficult to change going forward. There you go. I'd love to switch gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. Something that I, I never would have imagined growing up is that I would uh, personally visit uh, one of my elected officials in Washington, D.C. Uh, yet, uh, that's uh, how I've met a number of our elected officials. And in my case, we happen to have a, a very active Chamber of Commerce here in Gwinnett County. And I belong to that chamber and I'm active in the chamber. And as a result, I've gone to D.C., well, almost every year, except for this one, for the past ten or twelve. And so, is that is that is that the typical avenue that constituents get to meet their elected officials is through a, a chamber fly-in, or are there other ways to connect that are valuable and easy for all of us to reach? Well, it would not be fair uh, to say that everybody has a chamber like the Gwinnett Chamber. Uh, the Gwinnett That's Chamber true. is not typical. The Gwinnett Chamber is exceptional, and the involvement is is reciprocal, right? I I, I am the great beneficiary of the of the active chamber in Gwinnett County because people with real world experience real-world problems, folks who have proffered real-world solutions, are sharing their expertise with me that I get to bring to the, to the floor. So uh, I could not recommend that everybody across the country join their local chamber of commerce if they wanted to be influential. I would recommend that everybody get to know their member of Congress on a first name basis if they want to be influential. Their member works for them. It's not that hard to get an appointment. Uh, you just don't know it's not that hard to get an appointment. <laughs> and uh, folks ought to come and, and, and build that relationship if they, if they believe they have something to, to offer. But what the chamber uh, in Gwinnett uh, has done in terms of, of building partnerships year after year after year has uh, – again, made a difference in the laws of the land that get, uh, that get passed. But if I, had, if I was going to make one recommendation to somebody um, beyond get to know your member on a first-name basis, because if you know somebody, if you actually have a real relationship, it changes everything. If you don't have a real relationship, send them a handwritten letter. Oh, yeah? Nobody sends handwritten letters anymore. Really? 
and uh, I'm going to get thousands of emails uh, every day, many of them generated by a by a machine. Folks check the box, mm. send right. letter to, to congressmen, and they, they, they feel like they have done their part to contribute. But you can't tell the difference in a mass email campaign mm. of who really cares or who was duped by the way the question was asked mm. uh, or who just did it because their daughter asked them to and, and they went ahead and checked, uh, checked yes. That handwritten note, Matt, says that you care enough to do things that nobody else does. And, and that's, how to, that's how to get through the static uh, out there. I will, uh, I will look at every handwritten note that comes through with the understanding that it took a substantial amount of effort to do this. So whether this person is angry or sad or frustrated or encouraging, they are feeling that at a depth that I am certain of in ways that I can't be certain of the typed uh, word. I don't mean to say that to the computer guru uh, here that uh, that uh, digital <laughs> communication is is uh, is differently powerful. But if you ever want to, if you want to make sure you get on the the congressperson's radar screen, get put pen to paper, and I promise you it'll show up on their desk. That is great advice. You hear it. I mean, we've heard it all our lives. Sometimes tongue-in-cheek, if you've got a big problem, somebody says, write your congressman. But I love, I love the underscoring of, no, actually write to your congressman. I think that's, that's terrific. Speaking of Gwinnett, we are blessed, I think, to be one of the fastest-growing communities mm -hmm. in the U.S. I think we've been on the top 100 list, well, for, for a good long time. I remember that being cited a number of times over the past 10 or 12 years that, that I've been active in our community. What, what are the opportunities and challenges that come out of a fast-growing, rapidly changing community like this one? Well, when you're the first to encounter an opportunity or challenge, you don't have anybody to learn from in that, uh, in that way. And so Gwinnett time and time again, at least in the metropolitan Atlanta region, has encountered challenges first. And I'm just so proud of the way we've, we've taken those on. Mm -hmm. We haven't pushed any of those to the side. The, uh, the community in, in Gwinnett insists on, on taking those, those problems head on. But whether it is uh, having the largest school system in the southeastern United States, educating that diverse population of children is not an easy job. And yet we're recognized nationally year after year for doing it so well. It's a, it's a testimony to, the, uh, to Alvin Wilbanks as our superintendent and to all of our principals and all of our, our teachers and truthfully all of our parents as folks move into our area because of our spectacular school system. But it has, uh, I hear it when I travel to smaller counties across the state, Matt, they look at how Gwinnett did it, and if it turned out great, they want to emulate that. And if it turned out not so <laughs> right. great, they're going to they're take a different path. We are trailblazers, and I, I tell all of my colleagues that my district looks today the way America is going to look in about 15 years, hmm. whether that's educational attainment level, whether it's diversity in, in the business mix or racial mix. Uh, you go right down the list. We're just ahead of the game in our, in our part of the world. Gives us a great opportunity to lead, mm -hmm. but it also means we're, we're kind of out there on our own sometimes trying to figure out the best, best path forward. So 
tell me, uh, you mentioned schools, and I know, I think both of my kids have had an opportunity to see you come visit their school. I know my son, Zach, got to meet you once. He was still a, a boy. Is that a big part of the job? Spending time with running around to the different schools and, and meeting with the younger folks? The, is it a big part of the job? The answer would be no. Do I try to make it a bigger part of the job than it ought to be? The answer is absolutely yes. Right. If you've got to spend your time uh, uh, during the day with, with, with angry people who have given up or optimistic people who believe that the best is yet to come, you're going to choose that optimism. And, and if I can start my day with children, my day is going to be better because children love the president of the United States whoever the president of the United States is, mm -hmm. they love the White House, they love Capitol Hill, they love America. And we want to, they, they believe, uh, you ask uh, how many kids want to grow up to be president of the United States. If you ask parents that question, nobody raises their <laughs> hand. But you ask children that right. question, you'll get a dozen hands in every, <laughs> in every classroom. I wanted the level of trust in our elected representatives to be higher when I left than when I got here. And I decided early on that one of the ways I could do that was to get involved with, with young people. Young people historically have been the least likely to vote, the least likely to participate, but in terms of a population, they are large enough now to move absolutely every, the 18 to 24 year olds, to move mm -hmm. every issue on the, on the docket. The, my walls in D.C. are adorned with, with thank you notes from children and, and artwork that they have made and pictures that we have taken and storybooks that we've, that we've read. Um, Jesus knew that it was not a waste of time to spend time with the children, <laughs> that that is where uh, the magic uh, happens. And uh, I learn just as much about the children's parents uh, in the questions that they uh, ask. Uh, they don't hold back. They're completely transparent. That uh, it is not just uh, an emotional boost for me to spend, spend time with great uh, young people. It's also instructive to me to, if it's, if it's a worry that the children have internalized, you know it's a worry that the parents have been talking about around the family dinner table. So uh, it might, might be a little unexpected, but it's a very transparent look into the uh, fears and the excitement uh, mm -hmm. that uh, moms and dads are sharing all across the district. Do you have, I've, I've read that some of the things that you, your office has been involved in are uh, robotics challenges, application development challenges. Are those designed to get kids involved in what's happening in D.C., or is it more, hey, this is sort of the, the future uh, for a lot of folks, and so we're trying to develop young people towards those things? The, it is the latter. Okay. The, there are, if you, wanna, if you want a career in D.C., there's certainly lots of uh, uh, ones to, to pick, but the truth is, if I can get you to be an engineer instead of a lawyer, uh, I, think, uh, I think we've succeeded in, uh, <laughs> in, that, in that way. <laughs> The, you know, the top 1% of all the engineers that uh, graduate in China outnumber all of the engineers that graduate in America. Mm -hmm. and, and so I just can't, I, I can't chart a pathway for American leadership on the globe that doesn't include having every single young person maximize their abilities uh, however they can. In the same way that folks don't know they can contact their congressman, 
that they don't know they can just be the congressman if they if they want to be the congressman. Folks don't always know that that high tech career is available to them. They don't mm -hmm. always know that mathematical expertise is within their reach. We have such an amazing school system that what that offers so many opportunities. The teachers care so much. I just want to to do whatever I can in a small way to buttress those efforts. And if it means highlighting uh, the uh, uh, robotics uh, uh, team and the, uh, the, that uh, was in high school when I began this uh, process and is now in most of the elementary schools across the, uh, across the district, then these are, these are good problems to, uh, to have. But again, you and I don't live in a typical community. We live in an exceptional community. And many of these programs at the federal level are designed perhaps to give a child the only look they're going to get, mm. the only inspiration they're going to get. In our community, it's not the case. Uh, there's so much opportunity. But in many other communities, it may be the only opportunity they have to be recognized as an app developer, uh, for example. And, and, uh, and, and members across the country want to, want to participate and, and play a positive role there. Well, that's an interesting perspective. It's so easy for us to get sort of caught up in our own little bubble and believe that that's just the way it is everywhere. And that's not always the case. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that those clubs exist. I think they're critically important. And I love that their opportunities may be created in areas that wouldn't otherwise have them. Well, speaking of which, our producer, Chris, wanted me to ask you about I don't know if he's pursuing a different career. He wants me to ask me about to ask about students that are pursuing a degree at a Naval Army or Air Force Academy. Chris will get a, a kick out of that. Uh, you know, he's he's he was running our marketing uh, campaign here, so maybe he's considering a different career. I don't know. Is that typical of a of a congressman to uh, to help students and that sort of thing? They uh, it absolutely is, Matt. And I'm glad Chris asked because I put that in the category of things that folks don't understand. If you'd ask me when I was 16, 17 years old, if the Naval Academy was available to me, if I could get a congressman to nominate me to go to the Air Force Academy, I'd have said no. That's for that's for rich people who right. know their congressman. <laughs> that's for these partisan people who who uh, go to all the the conventions. That's not available just to to me. That's for that's for other people, special people. Nonsense. Uh, what hmm. I have learned. Matt, over the, the years, in fact, last weekend is when we did our interviews for this year. We had 50 young people from across the district come in and say, pick me, pick me to lead. We have, over the years, sent hundreds of names forward uh, to the academies and, and have a long list of, of graduates that our, our community can be proud of. If you want an all-expense-paid college degree from one of the finest engineering programs in the land, certainly one of the finest leadership programs in the land, along with a guaranteed job, along with an opportunity to make the world a safer place, along with the opportunity to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, our military academies offer that. And, hmm. you know, the kids who are applying today, Matt, they haven't known a day of peace in their entire life. They weren't born yes. on September 11th. We were already at war in Afghanistan when, when they entered this world. 
And even in all of that, not just uncertainty, but certainty about the risks that they are taking on, our community puts more people in the military academies than any other district in the state because our young people are just that good. So I would encourage everyone, even though I'm on my way out, the new congresswoman is going to do things exactly the same uh, way. It's not a partisan exercise. Nobody wants to stack the military with a bunch of incapable hacks. You want the finest people you can find to, uh, to lead the, the country. And so if you have a great leadership background in, uh, in your sports clubs or in your church or in your community, now if you have a successful academic background, not that you got all A's every semester, but that you were working hard, you understood the value of, of uh, the opportunities that you have and you availed yourself of them. Athletics, matter. But none of those things are definitive. They're all pieces of the puzzle. And then we bring those young people in, Matt, just like every other member of Congress does. And instead of having the political leader say, okay, I want you in the Naval Academy and I want you in the, in the Air Force Academy, we have an academy board of, of academy graduates. Uh, you <clears throat> know Mr. Mike uh, Murphy Mary Kay Murphy's uh, husband, Mike, was in the very first graduating class from the Air Force Academy. Mike's on our board, picking the mm. next generation of Air Force Academy cadets. We have enlisted folks. We have educational folks. We want the very best that we can put forward. The rule is that we're allowed to put one person in each academy, but because our young people are so amazing, we send forward a list of four people or five people or <laughs> six people, and the academies know that our people are going to be the best. And year after year after year, we get multiple people into every single academy. Again, not because I'm a rock star, but because our young people are rock stars. Uh, if that's a career path that any of your listeners are thinking about for themselves or, or for their kids. It is the least political thing uh, that I do. And as a result, one of the most rewarding. If you're having a bad day, come sit in with me interviewing the young people uh, who uh, uh, want to lead our country into the next, uh, into the next uh, decade. It will, uh, it will give you great hope that our very best days as a country are ahead. That's terrific, Rob. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, don't, I really don't think a lot of people know about that. So that's good to hear. So let's, let's move on to a little different topic for a few minutes. And the idea here is, I, I think you, you probably know this. I hope you know this. I think you've inspired a lot of people. And I think you've done that because of your approach to what would be considered a hot topics for a lot of folks. I imagine it, it can be frustrating sometimes to try to work things out with a few hundred <laughs> of your, uh, your peers. And, and sometimes, well, we can just say it, right? It seems like there's a lot of gridlock there. How, how do you keep your head on straight and keep your cool through that and how what's the secret to trying to work through some of those really big problems where it just seems like you can't 
quite get through for, to a different point of view. Well, it is amazing to me that uh, there are so many uh, folks who have that same question uh, and have been married to their lovely husband or wife for uh, 25 or 30 years, right? It's not unusual to disagree with people passionately, but still recognize that they are wonderful human beings mm. and that you have to find a way to work this out uh, going going forward. Uh, we use those same skills. The the challenge is, and, and if, if folks want to know which members to cultivate relationships with, at noon today, we'll go into session and folks can speak for one minute on any topic they want to speak on. Some people will use that one minute to recognize a 30-year teacher who's retiring or a first responder who uh, made a, a difference uh, for a family in a life-saving way to, to recognize a pastor or a, a young person for their accomplishments. And other people will use that 60 seconds to just rip the hide off of their political oh. opponents and tell you how bad everything is. I can't work with the people who want to use their 60 seconds of, of uh, attention to uh, tear people down, but I can work with anybody who wants to use their 60 seconds of attention to build people up. And I don't need to agree. Uh, my friend Jim McGovern, uh, who is the chairman of the Rules Committee, a very liberal uh, Democrat from Massachusetts, he and I disagree on almost everything. <laughs> he wants us out of uh, Iraq and Afghanistan for one set of reasons. I want us to vote on getting out of Iraq and Afghanistan for a different set of reasons, but we both share the desire to bring a vote to the floor on the authorization for the use of military force for the first time since 2003. Well, that is the secret, Matt. You don't have to believe that, that your partner is right about everything. You just have to believe your partner has something to offer on the one finite issue of the, of the day. and you develop that reputation if your constituents will allow you to. There are folks who come from 90% Republican districts or 90% Democrat, Democratic districts. Those constituents don't always want their representative to be a good partner. Sometimes they want their representative to go burn the place down. I'm just lucky enough that I come from a district where folks do want to move forward together. They don't believe getting half of what you want is losing. They believe getting half of what you want is winning and that you can go and get more the next day and more the, the next day. I believe one of the kindest phone calls I received uh, was from a liberal Democratic Congresswoman in California who called and, and asked if I would work on an immigration issue with her. And I said, listen, I, I, we've not met. I don't know who you are. The Congress had just been, uh, been starting. I'd be happy to work with you, but, but why are you calling me? And she said, well, because I asked around, and I know if we're going to get anything done, it's got to get done in a bipartisan way. And I'm told that you have uh, impeccable uh, conservative uh, credentials from the work you've done uh, as, a, as the leader of the Republican Study Committee but that you're also willing to work with anybody on anything that you think is going to move the ball in the right direction. And I think I've got an idea that might, might do that. That's quite a compliment. It, it, it was an amazing compliment, uh, Matt. And, I, and I, I, I've worked hard to earn that reputation, but only because the constituency in the 7th District 
allows me to. I hope you will take pride in it. Every single bipartisan effort that has been uh, created uh, in the time I've been in Congress, even, whether it was a large effort or a small effort, the Republican leadership has named me uh, to be a, a part of that effort. Because when it comes to reaching mm. across the aisle, I have a constituency that just wants to get it fixed. They don't care who gets credit for it. They don't care what it takes. They just want to solve problems. And, uh, and the more districts we have that look like ours that elect people not to get their point across, but to make progress, the better off I think we're going to be as a, as a republic. The answer is not more congressmen like me. The answer is more voters like you. And that is what's going to, going to solve, the, uh, solve our problems going forward. Well, you are very kind and very humble, Rob. I want to tell you, I'm grateful for you. And uh, I'm so glad uh, to be represented by you over the past uh, 10 years or so uh, that I've known you. You've done a, just a terrific job. I confess selfishly, I was uh, a little saddened to hear uh, that uh, you were retiring your position and, and, and moving on. I've been, you know, working through it over a period of time and I've come to terms with the idea. <laughs> Rob, what's, what's your plan? What's next for you? The, I, Congratulations, I, by the way. Thank uh, you very you know, much. I'm, I, I'm, I'm both being sincere and that I'm going to very much miss having you in that role. But also, I'm kidding a bit. You deserve to focus on whatever you like. And, and I hope you've got great plans and I'd love to hear about them. The, there is a fire that is required to do this job. And I am surrounded by men and women on my staff who share that fire. There, when I announced I was going to retire, was an opportunity for bipartisanship with a Republican in the White House and Democrats leading the U.S. House. I thought we were going to partner on absolutely everything and have a wildly productive two years solving problems. It didn't work out quite that way. Uh, COVID was part of that problem, and and personalities were a part part of that part of that problem on on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. I too am going to have to take some time to work out the the disappointment of leaving things in a in a in an uncertain state. It, as I as I envisioned it, we were going to be in a place of 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 much greater certainty and and much greater prosperity. But that said, sometimes the country needs people who are going to, to, uh, to partner and do things uh, slowly but surely. Sometimes the country needs folks uh, who are going to get in there and, 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 and burn, things, uh, burn things down. I don't ever want to be the burn things down uh, uh, person. And I, I see in primary after primary around the country, good Democrats and good Republicans being defeated because they're not angry enough at, uh, at their opponents. I think constituents deserve what they, what they want. They ought to be able to elect any kind of representative they, they want to. But my ability to make a contribution depends on a Congress that wants to work together and get things, uh, get things done. That had been becoming increasingly less uh, so over the 
over the years. John Boehner leading the House and Barack Obama leading the White House had great success uh, uh, on very difficult issues, even though we didn't agree on, uh, on, on a lot. I am uh, going to go through a 12-step uh, program to uh, detox from all that partisanship <laughs> so that I will again believe that there are more people who want to work together. There are more people looking for the good in one another than, uh, than, than not. But if, if, we had a, uh, if we had a tag team Congress where I could trade out for a couple of years and then come back in and stay fresh, you know, just like on the football team, <laughs> where right. you don't play both ways. You bring somebody <laughs> else in to try right. to sort it out. I would love to, uh, I would love to serve, but I am, a gap I, term. <laughs> I'm excited for our, for our state that there are new people who are coming in full of fire, full of enthusiasm, and, uh, and I am, I'm hopeful that we'll continue to have the same uh, uh, hardworking, uh, cohesive delegation that has, uh, that has defined Georgia, candidly, for the last 30 years. Well, I wish you the very best with that 12-step program. When you're done and feeling great, come visit. Uh, we'd love to have you over at Rocket IT and certainly hope we'll stay in touch. The, in, instead of trying to help with any problems uh, that you all might have, Matt, I'll be bringing you all of my problems okay, for Rocket IT <laughs> to solve. If there's, if there's anybody that's in the problem-solving business, it's you all. And <laughs> losing my technical support team on Capitol Hill, I will need to hire uh, folks who can uh, su- 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 succeed for me, and I appreciate that. Well, we'd, lo- we'd love to help you, of course. Uh, so one thing that we do with every podcast guest is just ask a few questions that are pretty similar to one another. And so, in other words, from one episode to another, uh, they're similar. Tell us, tell, you told us about one person that impacted your journey while you were chief of staff, but thinking more global here, is, is there any particular person that has really stood out to you as a, as a role model? But it, it, sounds, uh, it sounds cliche, uh, Matt, uh, but I'm lucky enough that my dad was that uh, was that model. I I lost him uh, uh, two and a half years ago to to cancer, mm. and you don't always realize how much help someone is to you in your life until they're gone. Mm. And we're all lucky to have been touched by so many amazing people, but family is one of those things that you don't get to choose. It's the hand that you're dealt and the federal government spends a lot of time trying to figure out how to help families be stronger and mm-hmm. we have arguably lost more of those battles than we've than we've won but i i had the i had the great benefit of having a, a dad who was the man that i wanted to grow up to be uh, and if if we could uh, if we could if we could have more children who believe that very same thing about their, their dads, uh, then uh, I'm sure that many of the things we perceive as problems in our country would be, uh, would be very, short, uh, very short-lived. Having someone who loves you unconditionally in your life is, uh, is something money can't buy. And I, 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 I wish that upon folks and, and try, to, uh, try to provide that as often as I can. I love it. Uh, sounds like an amazing guy. I'm sorry for your loss. Tell me, what's the most important lesson you've learned in your professional career? The, everybody talks about first impressions, Matt. 
I would tell you that last impressions oh. are are critically important. In a, in a transient job uh, like this one, uh, folks come into your life for a period of time and they go out of your, they go out of your life. Sometimes when people are leaving your life, they're more focused on the next opportunity than they are on their current opportunity. What I have uh, learned is that what people will remember is not uh, the first week that they worked with you. They're going to remember the last week that they worked with you. And as you try to, to build that credibility, as you try to build that, that team of, of partners, and really as you try to, as you think about what your own personal work ethic demands of you, you absolutely ought to be putting in as much effort on the last day as you were putting in on the first, uh, on the first day, if not more. And uh, you sometimes see that in members of Congress, that their most productive legislative years were their last two, because once they realized the clock was ticking and they weren't going to have an opportunity to help any longer, they moved it all uh, as fast as they uh, could. I would, I would tell young people, make sure you, you make eye contact, shake that hand, make that good first impression. But if you're lucky enough to start building a relationship, make sure you leave that relationship uh, on every bit as a high note uh, as you started it on. That's great advice, Rob. I love it. Uh, when you're not curling up with the unabridged edition of the uh, Constitution and all the associated paperwork, do you have a favorite book that you've read or podcast that you listen to? The, I plan to become a podcast listener. I oh, confess, yeah. uh, Matt, that I'm, yes. I'm, not, uh, I'm not there yet. And I have not enjoyed fiction uh, since I was a, was a child. I get enough fiction in my real life uh, here. Um, the, the, uh, the book that I'm working my way through now, and I would recommend it to anybody who is, who is, uh, uh, who, who does not feel an optimism about our future as a nation, to read uh, uh, Ratification hmm. by Ms. Mayer, M-A-I-E-R. It details the, the real fits that the country had in 1787 and the years that followed trying to ratify this document that we call our our uh, our republic's framework and time after time it looked like all was lost it looked like we were never going to get this done that it was all going to uh, it was all going to fall apart and people were bitterly divided you know, we think of this as being this 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 great uh, awakening in America, but no, like any big change, it had its ardent defenders and its ardent uh, opponents. Uh, and um, we we have been blessed in in my adult lifetime that we haven't been challenged as a people in the way that the nation was challenged in in 1787 to uh, about uh, 1800, but we may be approaching such a challenge. And if you need encouragement to know that it's going to work out as long as men and women of conscience apply themselves to it, uh, take a look at ratification and it uh, uh, hopefully will lift you up by knowing that uh, the challenges we face are not, uh, are not really all that new. Great stuff, Rob. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. I know you're awfully busy. I uh, uh, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. They, it is my, uh, it's my great pleasure. I, I, I don't say this to, uh, to flatter you as the, as the host, 
but you are often the topic in our uh, office when we talk about civic leaders and how they get involved and all of the different things they do and the contributions they make and uh, folks who get recognized uh, for some of those contributions and who don't get recognized for others. Uh, if, if instead of uh, being a lawyer, I had, uh, I had picked uh, a business uh, man and, uh, and husband and father, I would want uh, to do it the way you uh, have done it. And when I name people for which our community is so much stronger because this family has chosen to live uh, among us, uh, I choose uh, uh, Matt Hyatt and the, and the Hyatt uh, family, and I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. On that note, folks, I believe it's time to wrap things up. Congressman Woodall, from myself and our audience, thank you for joining us today. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Rocket IT Business Podcast. Should you have any questions or suggestions on future topics that you'd like to hear more about, email us at podcasts at rocketit.com. Finally, a quick plug for Rocket IT. We work with businesses, not-for-profit organizations, and municipalities in the areas of IT support, information security, and strategic planning. To learn more about Rocket IT and its services, simply visit rocketit.com. Thank you.